we are in bed with books. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Melissa. And I'm Bethany. If you'd like to find us outside of wherever you're listening from, then you can find us on our website, inbedwithbookspod.com, on Instagram at inbedwithbookspod, and find us on YouTube for video versions of the podcast and bonus episodes. So let's jump right in. It is a beautiful day in Seattle. It's like spring. And I'm at the time in my life when I'm kind of tired of being like hating spring and summer. Like I'm tired of hating seasons. Yeah. I'm like ready to just like let myself enjoy it when it's sunny outside. Well, I think people like they think just because you really enjoy one season, you have to hate the other ones. It's like, no, I can like really enjoy the cold without like hating. Okay. I'm going to be honest. I hate summer. Yeah. But it's not out of like some like contrarian kind of thing. It's 100% because like I boil. (laughs) Yeah, well, I do not yeah. deal with the heat. I mean, I think I hate hot weather. But yes, I actually yeah. really enjoy summer in the Seattle. In Seattle, that's different. It, I like I very different. very like, rarely experience summers nowadays where like yeah. it's bearable. Yeah. So, um, that being said, we are currently getting a cold front, which is very nice. Hence, like the the turtleneck is back out yeah. because our house is so poorly insulated. Even yeah. with the heat on, it's still kind of slightly cold. So I'm glad we're both enjoying our weather right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's burst for a while. Yeah, it is. What are you drinking? I'm drinking water, garlic bread, Ooh. and <laughs> you're drinking garlic bread. Nice, nice. Well, I realized I didn't eat dinner last night, and oh then God. I didn't. All I've had today is toast, and I was like, I need to eat something before I have a glass of wine because it's my Friday. Yeah. So I'm grabbing more garlic bread. <laughs> nice. So all I've eaten today is bread. <laughs> I mean. If you have to, you have to. Yeah. Um, but also same. I made this like brie apple fig spread uh, uh, bruschetta earlier. Wow. That sounds really fancy and delicious. It's not. There, this stuff is actually really cheap at HEB. Mm. As long as I get a lactate, like I'm good. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. brie is so soft. Um, no, it's like uh, Postino's make some. And I went with my mom and my friend Kristen before I left Phoenix. And I forgot just how much I liked that bruschetta. It's so good. It's it's like weirdly refreshing for a food. Yeah. And so I've been having that when I can't think of like what else to eat. Yeah. I love, I, I, I went through a huge feta phase. Nice. Where I would put feta on everything, not just salads, but like I would make like bruschetta with like feta. Yep. And then I would also, I went through a huge phase where I would get really good olive oil with salt and put, add like oregano, salt, pepper, and feta to it. Crumble feta. And then feta, just dip bread in it. Dip bread in it. Yep. There were days when that's all I ate. Yep. And it's like two, like a cup full of like just straight oil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, a whole baguette. <laughs> so I actually, after TikTok, like made that feta pasta trend Mm -hmm. it was impossible to find like the blocks of feta anywhere i finally found some and i'm gonna try to make the pasta Mm. it's when you just like bake it in a dish with like a bunch of tomatoes and drizzle it in olive oil yeah i guess you could probably add like maybe shallots and stuff too and then like seasonings and just bake that we're such i I know i know look at us i was gonna say am i making you hungry because i'm making me hungry i just ate but i'm making me hungry (laughs) 
We're using words like bruschetta and what else and did you say? And drizzled. <laughs> and drizzled. Shallots. Yeah, shallots. No, shallots. what are shallots? <laughs> they're sophisticated onions. <laughs> yeah, they're um, adult onions. Yeah. <laughs> which means they're small. <laughs> I like pink. how you said you're drinking water and then immediately drink wine. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was about to say when I said I was drinking garlic bread. Oh, okay. Because I was like, I need to eat something before I drink my wine. So, yeah. It's my Arguably, um, wine is just water that's been blessed by God. Exactly. So it's literally the nectar of the gods. <laughs> yes. Yep. I was going to say it's holy water, but then holy. I felt a little wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stick with it, though. I stand by it. I stand by it. Yeah. Okay. So what are we doing today? What are we doing today? We're going to be talking about um, book to screen, ones that we love, ones that we do not love, love. and ones that we wish to see in the future Yes, um, of the books that we love. So, yeah. So, Bethany, so in your <laughs> humble opinion, what for you do you really think makes a good book to screen adaptation? Hmm. Like what uh, elements? Okay. Okay. So in every story, there is an essence. And I, I kind of hate that word, but it's kind of the only word that works with this, which mm -hmm. is that there's something that the author or the writer like really is trying to get across. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, especially like in film and art, there's the, the presentation or the execution and the the choice, the choices that are made in order to grapple with this essence. Um, yeah. And I think as long as the integrity of the essence is there, I think that's just kind of the point of like a book to screen or point of yeah. like adaptations, right? Is like yeah. you're taking something that like has value and like, you know, kind of a point and um, t it's like your own take on it. And so I think when it's not done well, um, an artist gets, loses sight of what their point is. Yeah, not the, not the artist, but the art and the artist become like disconnected. Yes. In a not, not yeah. fun way. And like they kind of, and, and don't get me wrong because I'm not like as much as we all have like a purist in us that it's just like this has to yeah. be exactly like the books like it's not going to be exactly like the books mm -hmm. because film is a completely different medium yeah and a good filmmaker or director will know that and I think when it can go wrong is when they're when a filmmaker or an artist is not only not honoring the integrity of like the, the soul of like the story but they're not even honoring the integrity of like a direction yeah you know because like yeah. if if you're gonna take something and kind of do your like your completely new spin on it like that spin needs to stand alone on itself yeah. as like being it like, needs to really be, like, well done strong and, yeah yeah and like um th thorough mm -hmm. you know so yeah that's I think to me, what's really important, I don't think it needs to be pure. I don't think it needs to be like mm -hmm. perfect. And so there's definitely adaptations that I like that are like very much different from the book, mm -hmm. but I, I still respect what, how they approached it. 
Um, yeah. And then there's adaptations where it's like pretty much scene for scene or like the characters look exactly like you thought and things but like that. But then even sometimes that happens and it's not good. Yeah, yes. It like gets in the way because they're like distracted so much with like trying to like yes. match it. Yeah. I think we can definitely have some examples of that later. Yeah. Like someone just kind of came to my head. Um, I don't know that I have much more to add to that because I think that really like sums it up. I think just kind of go deeper into your point a little bit because mm -hmm. I do fully agree like having it fully purest kind of rendition is not always the answer to adaptations. Mm -hmm. But that being said, you still have to like have this really firm grasp as a filmmaker, I should say, of the message you're trying to convey with this new version. Mm -hmm. uh, I think so the, like the word in film studies for this is mise-en-scene. Mm. It's this kind of vague term to cover like the mood of what you're conveying. So everything from like the music to the coloring to the costuming, like the visual essence mm -hmm. of the movie, I think is really uh, imperative. Because when you're reading a book, you're picturing all of it in your head. Yeah. Well, and that's what you've come to see, right? Yeah. That's something the book can't really always grasp. It's a really imperative part of filmmaking generally. And so it becomes really, I would also say complicated when you're adapting. Mm -hmm. Because you have to have your own image paired with somebody else's yeah. in book form, which I don't know what the book form of this is called. I'm sure it's just like mood or something like that. Mm -hmm. And those can sometimes be really difficult to reconcile. Especially yeah. if you're not, like you were saying, if you're not respecting the, the source material. Yeah. I also think you have to have this really firm grasp of the characters. And two very good examples of this, a very good example of like it being done well is Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes has been so overdone. And I don't Which think one? it's entirely all of them. That's, that's my point. Oh, are you are you referring to a specific Sherlock Holmes? No, 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 like the well? character. Okay. Because we've had how many series mm -hmm. in the last hundred years? We've mm -hmm. had how many movies? And each of the characters, each of the versions of the character still captures the mm -hmm. essence in such a very clear way. And I think that's why we keep remaking him. My favorite one is um, the great mouse detective. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. We've made him a mouse. We've made him a doctor. We've made him a flailing version of Robert Downey Jr. We've made yeah. him a very sexy version of Henry Cavill. Like, yeah. But each version still grabs onto what we somehow, for some reason, as like a culture really love about him. Yeah. I'm not even like, I've never read one of the books all the way through. I think mm -hmm. I've read like chapters for a class. But we love, we love this character to no end. Um, and then a very, an, an example of a bad version um, is in the Percy Jackson movies. Uh, now I love Logan Lerman. I love the Percy Jackson books, but those movies were so bad. The first one was like close when it came to the vision. Mm -hmm. And then purists came along and were like, why isn't Annabeth blonde? Why is uh, Grover this way? Why did they do this and that? And so they tried to fix those things in the second movie and it just fell apart. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I like firmly agreed with is, so the character Grover in the books is this kind of like hippie fawn or satyr. And he 
wears like a Rasta cap and he's got really curly hair. He's kind of awkward. And his whole shtick is that he's just very nice and a welcoming presence for Percy as Percy's like finding out this new world. In the movies, they made him this kind of like sexually frustrated black guy. Mm -hmm. And not that like the casting of making him black, because I think making him black was actually like canon. Mm -hmm. But they made him like the black eye trope where he's just like this midway Urkel where he can't really get a girl and he's just like dancing around and vibing and trying to like, like a, a very satyr mixed with like the like classic Carlton. where they're like chasing after nymphs. Yeah, yeah. And it was very uncomfortable because it's meant to be like a kid's movie, a kid's book. Mm -hmm. And to really sexualize this character that's meant to be more inviting was really jarring. Yeah. And not not fun, yeah, at all. Like I can understand sometimes tweaking characterization to fit in a more like contextual way, but this is a book that's intended for middle schoolers, so mm -hmm. it should come as no surprise if middle schoolers are also going to see this. And yeah. so it just felt wrong to throw yeah. in this really highly sexualized character suddenly, for a number yeah. of reasons, like the racial implications and then also just the why. Yeah. So like what what purpose did it serve was not good enough. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. at that point the only purpose that it could have served was for laughs based on the racial like right. implications which right. is not not good. Yeah. <laughs> but Rick okay so this is another one this the reason I bring up Percy Jackson as well. The author Rick Reardon knew that they kind of ruined his books. He continued to make these books. He continued to like do it. It was they had bought the rights before he even published the first Percy Jackson. And I don't know how that happens mm -hmm. um, with, uh, with big writers, I'm sure, or with big authors, I'm sure it does a lot more than we know. Cause not every time does it get turned into a movie, but now they're Disney's like rectifying that by making it into a show. Mm -hmm. Rick and his wife, I shouldn't say Rick, Rick Reardon, Mr. Reardon and his wife are heavily involved in the production of it which was not the case originally. Like they kind of said that he was going to be. And then from what I understand, he was not quite as involved as he would have liked to have been. Yeah. And so I like that Disney's like learning from that mistake mm -hmm. and actually trying to use the person who made it. I never thought about that when we were kind of talking about like ideas for books to screen, but like Disney does a lot. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, I think another example of it being not a Disney example, but a poorly done example is Frankenstein. Yeah. Because it's one thing to turn it, turn things into like a horror in a new way, but they like lost the essence entirely, which is that which the is, monster. Which would have been a great movie. Like, yeah, exactly. It, could, it still could have been like a horror and it still could have been like as like. Yes as much of a pop culture phenomenon as it is but even like with more depth you know yes like the reason why they had to get rid of the worst the best part they had to get rid of the best part of the book like is weird yep yep yeah. they turned him into this kind of just like mumbling groaning like crypt keeper kind of character do you remember um, frankencelery no it's a veggie tales one <laughs> i probably would have been too scared honestly i was a very scared child that, Even that, with Veggie Tales, that's that's funny because I remember that one being scary for someone else I knew too. 
but yeah, he was Frank and celery. And so he was celery and he was just, anyways. That sounds about right. Given the shape of like Frankenstein's head in all of like (laughs) Hollywood. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you remember old Scooby-Doo's and there was the, the, I think he was just called like the creature or something, but it was like all hunched over. Mm-hmm. And he would just like groan and his hands and were out like had this. like rags. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that was very heavily based on what Hollywood portrayed of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was just so, just like it's, a, it's so muddled. An animal. It, yeah. Not yeah. sent like not sentient or like, yeah, you know, just like a very dumb, which like adds version. this whole new layer to the, like the crime against nature that mm-hmm. Doctor Frankenstein did in, in the entire process. Because well, it feels violating, yeah. like generally, if you just think at like a very base level of like, look what he's done. He's created a monster. It's like no, what he's done is defied nature, and now yeah. he has to pay the the price. Yeah, it's almost like people just thought, oh, like your his mind has to match his body. Yeah. Which is disgusting and gross, right? And yeah. So his mind also has to be just like dumbed down. But how much worse is it if he's conscious? Yeah. It's almost more of a repre- representation of ableism gone bad. Like Yeah, oh yeah, one hundred percent. Definitely one hundred percent. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that is, I think that's a, a good kind of baseline for us to discuss this. Yeah. We can't have this conversation though without talking about the, like, I think three really mm-hmm. big adaptations that adaptation. everyone as, has at least seen at least one of them. Yes. Number one, Lord of the Rings. Yes. And I know people generally have a hard time with this because it got squished down which to be fair like okay oh it's not even oh this right here this which is the size of like two knuckles for me Mm -hmm. is the trilogy how are they gonna easily turn that into three movies it's a beast of course things are gonna be lost in it Mm -hmm. but peter jackson kept like the essence of the story which is this story about friendship and good versus evil and triumph against all odds yes yes and unfortunately it his continuation in the hobbit that got lost a little bit and i think i think i i think most people would agree with me on that it yeah it was like if you were gonna if you wanted to make more movies you should have made more out of lord of the rings should have been like a series but that was before television series was like such a thing it is now like fantasy big fantasy television yeah i mean if you want to hear more about our thoughts on lord of the rings films we have done them uh, um bonus episodes exclusively on youtube where we do talk about like in more in depth and so i don't want to get too much into like we do talk about that. Um, we talk about it a lot. We talk about it a lot. Um, and yes. it is like also like you were talking kind of about Frankenstein and this creature. And I was kind of thinking like just about how, what am I trying to say? Not graphics, but. Um, Characterization? No, like digital 
like CGI. Oh, the CGI. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like that. Yeah. Effects. Mm -hmm. That became like such a turning point. Like, you know how like war, (laughs) unfortunately, like moves us forward technologically. Lord of the Rings moved us forward. (laughs) like visual artist wise like visually I also have graphic. like a strange connection with that connection to point make with that but we can do that in a second because it brings us to one of our other yes. good examples go ahead but what I do want to say about the hobbit just briefly mm-hmm. is it like the reason it got so muddled and so lost is that the hobbit is meant to be this like fairy tale yeah it's meant to be like read by a young person yeah but it's also told in the style of a fairy tale like Mm -hmm. it's this journey kind of sweet story we don't even see the battle in the books yeah Bilbo gets knocked out because this I think the theory is Tolkien wasn't confident in his ability to write a good battle scene yet so he just Mm -hmm. copped out which is fair I'd do the same thing and so Mm -hmm. Bilbo's out for the battle we don't see fighting yeah but by stretching it out you just lost the entire essence of this really sweet story yeah um but example number two is actually harry potter harry potter and so the weird connection that i'm that i can make with this um a little over maybe a month ago i read this article about how oddly enough like 9 11 set the stage for Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter being as successful as they were Mm. because the need for escapism was suddenly Mm. so much higher especially because like yes we did jump into a war at that point but it was a much more detached and much more like distanced war than at that point we were used to Mm -hmm. and so humans I guess I shouldn't say humans but like people (laughs) humans of which I am a part Yes. Um, we're so ready for like one, the good versus evil that Lord of the Rings yes. offered and that Harry Potter was starting to offer. But two, these new worlds that we could escape to for an hour and a half, two hours without repercussion. Yes. And I, I don't think it's um, a mistake that right now we're talking about this and like Russia is invading Ukraine yeah. today. And Which like, is really rough. It's all over the news. It's really, really rough. But like, I think about that time when mm-hmm. 9-11 happened and it was before Netflix, but yep. it was like cable all over cable was the message, right? Like terrorism. And then after that, it was all about Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. and like all of that. And so it was just like very much feeding so it was definitely a good time to have like a saga, right? Because, yes. Because there's this other saga happening casually in our living rooms yes. all of the time. And so it was just like definitely a good escape. It's hard. Like you said, like it is a very like topical thing right now because mm-hmm. of Russia invading Ukraine. Um, if that dates when we're recording this and everything that is happening today. Yes. For people uh, listening. February 24th. Yep. And the thing that makes it hard is that when when you watch the movies, they are an hour and a half, two hours. And if you're watching the extended edition, it's sometimes three hours long. And you get to see the resolution. You get to see good triumph over evil. And that's very hard when you're watching it just unfold the same headlines cycling through on every single channel. It's all breaking news, the same breaking news for three hours. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and then there's not an immediate resolution. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard on us emotionally and mentally and in some ways like physically because you're going to hold that stress in places mm-hmm. that you didn't know you could hold it. And I think Peter Jackson particularly understood the the sudden weight of what he was putting out. Yeah. I think they all did. Yeah. Harry Potter a little bit differently because that had like different directors for every movie. Mm -hmm. But the, I think it was, I can't remember his name actually right now. I think his last name is Day, the producer. Mm -hmm. He was the producer, like the main producer through all eight films. And I think he kind of grabbed some of that gravity, understood some of like the, the necessity of that story at that moment. Yeah. So, because if those hadn't done well, it was because those did well at the time that they did well, that has pushed fantasy into film, into the yes. screen, film and television in a way that did not exist before. Mm-hmm. Things like Labyrinth or Neverending Story, those were all like cult classics. Yes. Those were not mainstream until quite recently. Yes. And so we have those movies to thank for it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Have it off my soapbox for a moment. <laughs> Perfect. Well said. I thank you. Completely agree. It's just very heavy today. It's nice to talk about these things, but it's it is but it's it heavy. is heavy today. But it's also it's it would also I appreciate. We should be able to talk about it because it's happening. We shouldn't yeah. just push it aside. And if it happens to be relevant, which it is in this conversation, I'm glad that I can enter the space with you to yes. Av- avoid some of the heaviness for a little yes. while. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay to do. Yes. But I would, I, I would say our third in this trilogy of like book to screens is of course, Game of Thrones. Yes. Yes. Which had a very effective, (laughs) great start. Yes. It was one of, it was, I was listening to this podcast once and the guest on there was like bringing up game of thrones and the hosts had like hadn't watched it and this was like years ago a couple years ago and the hosts were like i don't know dragons and then the guy was like it was a cultural movement like yes. how can you not watch it like how it could you like not watch ben it Wyatt, when he's like it's a crossover hit it is human stories told in a fantasy world like yeah exactly. i feel like i channel him every single time but yeah, yeah. exactly exactly that being said, the ending, I say if you're, if, if by some fucking miracle you haven't watched the show yet, stop after maybe season four, maybe season five. Yeah. Season five, there's still hope for a good story. Just don't watch yeah, anything season after five. season five. Se- yeah, season five has some good stuff in it, actually. But yeah, after that, it starts to really go down. Season One of five. my last really favorite moments is when Cersei bombs the church that's so good that that whole scene I still listen to that that uh that song score yes so good the light of the seven oh so So good yes I have all of his music on this like playlist I have he is amazing and I watched this like little snippet on YouTube I can't unfortunately i don't have his name at the tip of my tongue but i it's like ramen ramen something yes yes 
Um, but you can definitely look it up. He did all of the Game of Thrones scores. And he said there was something new, and this is relevant to this episode. It's like he said about the scene, or not about that score, that song in particular, is that this is the this is like a huge moment in the story where Cersei is actually she's kind of been this like terrible person yeah but more on like a personal level face to face but she's never done this before Mm -hmm. and no one's done this before yet yeah it's like a brand new technology it's a brand new like you're actually blowing up a church and you're blowing up like major people right and you're not even there like you don't so he was like this is new and it was the first time he used piano at all in the score altogether. Oh, wow. And he said it's because he said he wanted to kind of get the point across that like this is a new thing. This is something new that's happening because whether or not the viewer realizes it, they'll hear the piano and know something's different. Yeah. And that's why you get that incredible unease at the beginning because you're like, what is this? Something's new. Not what's going on. Especially like <laughs> so many parts of that score it's like a full it's like a full like 12 minutes or something Mm -hmm. crazy like that so many parts of that score are just the piano Mm -hmm. so when you get down below and you have the um the cousin who joined like their cult and he's been injured and he's like trying to crawl towards the flame so it doesn't Mm -hmm. hit those parts particularly just kind of have like this bare piano sound and as it it gets closer he'll add in like strings and everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the piano is still yes i'd never really picked that i didn't well i didn't know that i didn't either until i watched this video that where he's talking about it but yeah even when the like the strings are being used the piano is still such like a focal point of the song it's very unsettling it's very well done he also do, does it um, when the Night King comes at the end. That yeah. song is really good. Yes, it is. In fact, that's the song in my head right now when I'm thinking, when we're talking about this, but it's it's like a 12, it's also like a 15 minute long song or something. Yeah. And it's like incredibly simple piano parts, but like incredibly ten- with incredible tension. Like, yeah. So yeah, it's that kind of definitely a mirrored a little bit there, I think. But yeah. It, it does real quick it does remind me yep. of like jaws mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where like two notes what's the yep. like the the line from the holiday where he's like two notes and you've got a villain yep you can't even see jaws yeah. you can't even see the shark half the time yeah but the two notes alone set that for you yeah exactly that simplicity is really 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 quality so yeah i mean we could do an episode just on scores which I oh think honestly is honestly, in our near future i love i love, <laughs> I love uh, scores Yes, I same. fucking love scores. Okay, well, that's first movie that did it for me though. Books. Another book to, to uh, film. Yes, is Narnia. Mm-hmm. The battle music. I don't. Have you seen the Narnia movies? I have, but I didn't. I watched them once. I didn't really get into them. No, so I fair, don't really remember the score. But the battle scene in the first one, mm-hmm. that score, that was the first one. Like I heard in theaters, and I cried. Yeah. That was the first kind of like song that did it for me. I was like, wow. Yeah. It's been all downhill from there. Yeah. Um, okay. But back to our actual, <laughs> our actual yeah. discussion. So the reason that Game of Thrones flopped in the end after season five, mm-hmm. technically, is 
because it lost that essence yeah they completely abandoned the characterization they completely abandoned like what we liked about the film they leaned heavily into spending too much money on battles which like granted like battle of the bastards great scene that that's the one i'm talking about i think that's season five okay okay yeah that's why i was like oh that i remember that season being good so yeah battle of the bastards was amazing excellent absolutely excellent Mm -hmm. but they spent all of the money on that instead of like spending it in other places where it could have really really benefited the story and the resolutions that they were trying to very quickly bring together yeah you could tell that they were definitely rushing it yes D &D. um yes but i do i do agree because like the the long night Mm -hmm. that episode is just like I watched it once and that's, it's so sad because they were so set on having the longest battle scene Mm -hmm. in film history because Helm's Deep was like held that. Yeah. And they wanted like the longest battle scene, which is fine. A a lot of other things were sacrificed in the making of this long night. I will never watch that episode again. It's intense. You want to know my (laughs) biggest problem with that episode? Other than the fact that like Jorah dies and Jorah was one of my favorite characters yeah. and he should not have gone down like that. Um, <laughs> Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> yeah. In case. Like, but I mean, come on. Cultural movement. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Have you not read- <laughs> and as I said before, I just don't watch past season five. <laughs> but why would they send everybody down to the crypts when they're about to fight somebody who can raise the dead? Like that is the biggest fucking plot hole mm-hmm. in that whole episode. I know. Does not make sense. Absolutely no sense. Unless you're trying to create some spice. And it's like, that's the only service that it provides. And it's so blatantly obvious that like, it doesn't even hit the way that it should. Yeah. Clearly we have not gotten over this. No, we haven't. It, we're because I'm gonna be on it my happened because the last episode aired just the like I think it was the winter no it was in May no I can't remember but it was the year before the pandemic that's it was because we watched it together in in London I watched it at home but I think I it was when I went in May started yeah yeah um the last episode or whatever Mm -hmm. and I just remember it was so disappointing and then like it was because we spent 10 years with these people um we milo and i started watching it after the first season came out like we had only i had only one season and like some people kind of joined in later and stuff and it's like when you're with people like that long because this was the first time this was happening yeah game of thrones marks the first time where you have a saga in a television series yes on this scale and not only on this scale in terms of like visual effects and like just budget but but cultural like relevance it everyone was like oh my gosh did you watch it was like fucking american idol yeah better not like fantasy shows didn't happen before yeah it's that fantasy shows were not that successful before yeah but even then like i feel like there's definitely like shows that are like and what I mean like cultural relevance is that like you go to work the next day and you're like oh my gosh did you oh yeah know exactly what happened? Like you're talking yeah, and it's like not it. American Idol or Fear Factor like if this is we're talking like yeah but that's, like, that's a, exactly what I mean it's yeah. like this was the first time that a fantasy television show had done that because yeah. before it was like Friends or Cheers like 
little yeah, things the like last that. episode of friends or yeah. exactly like like my parents joke it's not really a joke but my my parents got married the day that the last episode of cheers aired mm. and so they say that and people are like oh this day people know when right. the last the, that had never happened with a fantasy show before mm-hmm. since then there's been plenty of more like plenty of others that have happened mm-hmm. because of what game of thrones started yes. however I don't want to give them a pass on this, but part of the reason that I think they lost in the last few seasons is because Martin has not released new books. Yeah. He's told them what he plans to do, but they kind of, according to him, because he even came out later and he's like, that's not how I wanted it to end. Yeah. According to like that, we can't assume that they went off book and not yeah. in a fun way. Right. In, in a way, in a shock value way. Which in a, exactly, exactly. Yeah. In a very uh, disrespectful to the source material kind of way, to the characters yes. kind of way. The integrity of Yes, the, the integrity was completely lost, yes. Of what this project is, yes. Okay. Characters' names leave me now, but like the big buff lady knight. Oh, and Brienne. And the blonde. No. no, no, no. Uh, Cersei's twin. Oh God, pretty boy. Oh Jamie, <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> yes. thank you, Jamie thank and Brienne. Yes, that is one of the biggest fuck yous. Not just like yes. I, I can understand maybe them not ending up together, even though their relationship was beautiful for both of them. Mm-hmm. But having it be that he just runs back to Cersei, yeah, is fucking terrible. It was an absolute like atrocity (laughs) well and and one thing we need to mention which is why game of thrones was the big like guffaw that it was which was that they killed the main character in the first season yep this is this jamie going back to cersei is not a welcome shock that is not like what because game of thrones became known for like do not fall in love with characters because they will yep. die and people were kind of excited there was something kind of exciting about that because it wasn't like predictable we and it literally was- had that like pool we did it with all the girls in our well I don't think all the girls but with like several of the other girls in our master's program where we were like it was kind of like fantasy football but it was like who's gonna live to the end of the season yeah which was fun yeah we, until, we like, did we played a wasn't- we played fantasy we did like a fantasy league or like yeah. a a game of thrones league yeah um that was super fun i would want to do that again but it's so fun yes it was fun but that but for that very reason it's like game of thrones is known for just yes like the red wedding oh yeah what what a what an absurdly beautiful way to shock everybody like that yeah was the kind of shock value we love yeah and 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 when you're in time with the releases too like i remember game of thrones became the number one illegally downloaded thing yeah i can't attest to that because i we illegally downloaded it um (laughs) (laughs) i don't care if i if they come and take me away i i stand by that i think millions of people did it and it made it what it is today um so it was, we would download it and then watch it and we'd have to wait a week, like a mm-hmm. schmuck. Yep. Like the olden days 
when you had to like wait and it was awful. I think the red wedding was one where I was just kind of like, God, I wish I liked Caitlin Stark a little bit more, but to me it was Oberyn. (laughs) I was like ready to stop watching the show. Oh, I was so angry. I was like, it was was so intense. Rob Starks, yeah, I didn't like Rob Stark as much, very much. So I like, I, I like the because he was yeah, very much like his dad, love him. like that, yeah, that uh, what is it that like that really strong moral, like honorable, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's Absolutely, fair. Love, but yeah, also lots of people did. Oberon, like his death was rough. That rough. was well. There was so much behind it, and yeah. you just got to know him, and you really liked him, and it was like that's it's like we were supposed to have learned (laughs) that if a new character comes in all shiny and new and pretty and nice and like fun that like, don't get too excited. Yeah. Um, and then you have like Tyrion's in jail. So he's like fighting on his behalf. He's got like beef with this, the mountain and you're like, Oh, he's actually a good fighter. It was just an incredible scene that broke your fucking heart and it and, and the episode ended right there and I was like I hate this show <laughs> I was like, so angry <laughs> well especially because like you're like oh Tyrion's got to get out of this he gets out of everything so mm-hmm. he's gonna win the fight because Tyrion's gonna succeed and then he mm-hmm. didn't no and that's when like the the t- like the, the tides change and you're like oh fuck and then Oberyn's like partner wife is just like screaming. I love that actress, by the way. Yes, she is absolutely phenomenal. I don't know her name right now, but she's just like screaming. Oh, it was just such a powerful image. And then Cersei's just got this like, yeah, just makes you hate her so much. No. Yes. Yes. Uh, So, so well done. So well done. And so well written. Okay. We'll move on. (laughs) But yes, but yes, like those are like, those are parts that really grasped onto what Martin is doing and so I don't really blame him for not putting out the new books yet because there's a lot of pressure now to get it right yes oh absolutely Um, I don't I don't know if we ever will yeah I I don't envy him at all by now yeah that's the tall order okay okay uh an honorable mention that I think we should do is Jane Austen yes because it's been done and redone so many different ways kind of in the same vein as like uh, Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. there's very clearly something that we like from this and we've touched we've touched on this before because we've read like 1800s like Victorian Regency era books yeah but we fucking love the marriage plot we being like America yeah culture like western culture loves the marriage plot Hallmark has made an entire like empire yes. out of just remaking different versions of Jane Austen in modern day yeah. in different offices and vacations yeah. and bakeries and schools <laughs> and doctor's offices. I have watched my fair share, <laughs> but are there any specifically that come to head, come to mind for you that, um, uh, good or bad ad- screen adaptations. Yeah. Um, I will talk about sense and sensibility mm-hmm. because it is my favorite Jane Austen book that I've read I have not read all of them number one I like it because it's about sisters and the actual romance is necessary because that's something else too that I learned in college 
was that because we grow up with these stories so often and say what you will about the bourgeoisie and how much they just didn't want to work but these women were marrying to survive they yeah. had no way means um like i think we should also emphasize when we say that about like the the bougie class um it's very much masculine people yes. like men that are being criticized in that sense because women didn't have a choice yes. one way or another yes that's exactly thank you yeah a good example is every jane austen book yeah. but yeah. in particularly in sense and sensibility the father dies the inheritance does not go to their family the mother and three daughter two daughters yeah two daughters have to go live in this like beach cottage that's like taken care of off of this like stipend by the person who did inherit so they don't like a cousin or something prospects yeah so they're living like in close proximity to like their uncle or something like that like a cousin Mm -hmm. um who's very friendly and wealthy but they live in this like tiny cottage where they have to like which I mean for us it's like whoa how like romantic right like you just live off on the beach but it's like um imagine like growing old in that and not like having I don't know so of course marrying off your daughters to ensure their future is like paramount um but what I love is that it revolves around the sisters and the sisters being completely two different kinds of people you have Eleanor who's just like just a very like reserved person who's just like kind of taking care of everyone and making taking care of mom and taking care of the younger one and then there's Marianne who's very romantic and believes that like we make our own happiness and we have to like go and like you know I want to find so then of course they they go through their like various suitors so there's two film adaptations obviously everyone knows about the one with emma thompson and yeah shit what's her name kate winslet like one of my favorite like actresses of all time i just yeah it's got ellen rickman in it doesn't it yes ellen rickman yes and it has hugh grant hugh grant um i don't know who plays willoughby no one memorable oh and then the um shit i don't remember her name but she plays nelly in weathering heights she plays the mother I'll pull up the cast list real quick. Okay, thank you. Um, yes. And this is a film. And this is in the 90s when I think there was like a, a surgence of Jane Austen films being made. Mm-hmm. Um, if you find out what year it came out. Uh, 95, the year 95. I was born. Not to brag or anything. Not to brag or anything. Um, yes, because the Emma with um, Gwyneth Paltrow came out in 96. So okay. there was just like a really concentrated time of like getting out all of these although they didn't do pride and prejudice until 2005 which is amazing because they had one from like 85 which was like that's a huge gap (laughs) Um, yeah anyways um there's also a pbs masterpiece version which is more of a mini series um and i don't know the actresses names but they're definitely in the (laughs) bbc hemisphere (laughs) you know you you start to realize that like Milo's like oh it's that girl from the thing that you like that's in everything (laughs) that you watch because they just all know each other um and uh I will say this Marianne is kind of more of the bright exciting character but Eleanor is just like 
my favorite. And there's in the book, there's this scene when she finally finds out that fuck, I don't know his name. Edgar, maybe. His last name starts with an E. It's, it's the Hugh Grant um character. Uh, Hugh Grant Edward Ferrers. Ferris. F-E-R-R-A-R-S. Yeah. Yeah. They their their uh accents. It's like Ferris or something. Yeah. Um EF. So he she realizes that he's actually been pining for her because she just can't believe that anyone would want her. Yeah. And she actually has like an emo- like an emotional like outburst that you never see from Eleanor because she's just so guarded and closed up. But you realize just how much she's been holding all of that yeah. for all of this time because Marianne kind of just takes up takes up that space so much yeah. that she just hasn't had that. And both characters do such a good job. The one in the PBS masterpiece miniseries is just like, like they're just like hype, just like hyperventilating and just so happy. And then Emma Thompson also like, it's just like this great scene that I just think they both did well. Um, I would say, yes, those are both really good adaptations because I think the soul of Jane Austen is the scenes in which the characters like reveal themselves. Right. It's not really about like the aesthetics and the, um, the adventure or like mm-hmm. the politics. Um, it's more about like the, the character, the characterization yeah, and, and that coming through how they meet with each other. What am I trying to say? Like how they like present how they themselves each to each other. Yes. And, and, and the way that Jane Austen does that is, is genius. Um, and so to watch the, to watch these characters in person is to give it like this, it adds so much to it because you get to add that like emotional outburst and like, you get to see the tears and like, Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as we all love the Regency, like costume, I mean, don't get me started, but like, I think that's why also Emma is a very mm-hmm. particularly redone one. Like we've seen it done almost 100% canonically a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And then you have Clueless, which I've talked about before. Yes. But it's because like, it's a very adaptable story. Yes. You have this character who starts out as rather unlikable, have this reckoning with her own self-image and then make a very concerted effort to change that about herself. Yes. And we talk about Emma and Clueless on YouTube yeah. as well. Another one that we talked about in our bonus film, episode. Our, so in our bonus episodes, yes. Yeah. Um, so like it's it's a very like modern, very easily modernly adapted story. But then you have the like Anya Taylor Joy version that just happened a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. That's almost exactly like the original she took like some liberties but not so much that it was really weird yeah i think the biggest thing is just like the nosebleed which is just funny did you see it you saw no, it no right? i didn't see it okay that so one. there's there's one scene when like her and uh the guy she ends up with i can i can never remember his name uh paul rudd the the character that paul rudd is yeah. in clueless oh in clueless yeah yeah but oh, mr in- knightley Mr. Thank Knightley. you, Mr. Knightley. Um, 
my favorite. <laughs> they're like kind of, yes, they're kind of perf- like professing feelings for each other. And she just gets a nosebleed in the middle of the conversation. And they're both oh, like, good. yes, because it's supposed to be super awkward. And yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I think Regency in general just reads awkward nowadays based on like our current like conception of manner manners and everything yeah and so adding the nosebleed really yeah. really just upped that ante for us which i yeah. thought was funny but see yeah. that's an example of like it captures the essence mm-hmm. in a like a translatable way without losing the integrity and, and it adds to the integrity because yeah what what's so comical about that is that these two people are best friends they know mm-hmm. each other in and out and the fact that they all of a sudden realize their feelings for the other and are super awkward now. Yes, yes. Like, and they get in, she gets in those plate. I have to watch that now. It's really funny. Yeah, you, should, you yeah. definitely should. Um, okay, so yeah, honorable mention for that because yes. it's Jane Austen's, as much as like people like to shit on romance and like, God, get like a new hobby. But it's because it's so nice. And it's because so it's good. like, yes, exactly. I, I, I argue that, um, that is a very, I don't want to say misogynistic, but it's a very it like, is. it is because yes, it's a feminized okay. genre. It is. It's a feminized genre. And yes, so yes. even women are like against romance and I'm not saying you have that to it, love romance. Yeah. It's okay not to like romance, but romance is a feminine genre because that is what because romance itself has been feminized yes and so it's like I guess more socially acceptable for us to like want to like it mm-hmm. and to um aspire to have like someone who like cares for you I don't know yeah well and like the girls who don't like or who go out of their way to emphasize how much they don't like romance it yeah. feels very like I'm not like other girls girls are just so much drama like yeah that's not a personality. Yeah. It's just internalized misogyny and it's kind of sad and I hope you break out of it. Yeah. I like, I like, um, the future of feminism to include both fragility and strong strength. I think we're Um, at that point now. Like we're at that point where we're making that turn and I really Mm -hmm. love that. Same. I know you don't watch Marvel and quick, like I won't get too deep into it, but like that is another example of mm-hmm. adaptations from book right. to screen. Yeah. And I think it's a very interesting example because the books themselves are visually uh, driven. Yeah. They're art. Yes. They're, they're drawings. Yes. And so you have a lot of baggage that comes along with that when you turn mm-hmm. that to screen. But an example of this, like, the coexisting of strength and emotion and fragility in women, they... I want to say, I don't know, years now because of the pandemic, but in the last couple of years, at some point in the last couple of years, the Black Widow movie came out. Mm. And I know people have like a lot of problems with this for one reason or another. I loved it because I'm not in the business of letting myself not enjoy things if they're just not up to par, you know? Yes, some things are not going to live up to my expectations, whatever. But they took this very strong character black widow who like her she doesn't really have a power her thing is that she's like a very good spy and that she can kick ass and that she looks fucking good doing it yeah yeah that's why they took her character 
to this whole new level because you see her past, you see her, like her family, you yeah. see her stand up for herself and stand up for the people she cares about, mm-hmm. especially in the last uh, Avengers movie in Endgame. Right. Spoiler alert. She sacrifices herself. You see her cry for the first time, nearly cry for the first time on screen. And you see that in her eyes as she's like sacrificing herself so that way the team can succeed at saving half the universe. Yeah. And that felt like such a strong moment for like strong women in in film. Mm -hmm. Because the issue lately has been like, yeah, I want strong women, but I want complex women. Yes. I want women who give me more yes. real real characters I I, th- I feel like too I kind of grew up I mean we both grew up but I originally I, I, I grew tend- up a little bit yeah I I tended to not really like a lot of mainstream action movies because of this yes because yeah. you had there was there was always it's always like the main character which is male and then the side character, which is female, but she's like cool because she can like fight. But yeah. that's it. Very yep. one note. She doesn't have a lot much more than that. She doesn't get any more. And so I just like hated them because Pirates of the Caribbean kind of comes to mind. Maybe Kira Knightley had more to her character, but I just like didn't really see it. But like that, that just seems to kind of be in my head at the moment because it was like that era and you had this woman who's just supposed to like fight and i'm like but i don't see myself in that because it's like it's not that i right like you said it's not that i don't want to be strong it's yeah. that i i also want to be more than just a girl trying to like be as strong as a man because we all know that's not really possible physically like but like there are physiological differences in the ways but why are we trying to be physical in the ways men want to be men are physical why can't we be physical and the way women can be physical which is like well whatever also like motherhood or like just having not not just that but like the notion that being strong means that you have to sacrifice fragility and that like being emotional means you have to like sacrifice the ability to be strong when strength is in fragility and and vice versa yeah exactly yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I, I feel that. Okay, off my soapbox. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Happy to help you up if you want to back up uh, at any yeah. point. Um, All right. I think we're ready, though, unless you have anything else to say on that. Uh, no, I think that's good. Okay. Okay, think- so just a couple of ones now that we would like to see. Yes. Okay. Okay, my first one is Crescent City. Oh, I yeah. said this when we did the first, um, when we talked about the first book, but some of the scenes are so cinematic like so cinematically written that it feels almost like a crime not to turn it into a movie or a show i would much rather a show because they're like 800 pages yeah you mentioned like oh i really want to see this and yeah that's film and now i'm reading the second one like oh yeah oh it's very like like, it's 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 almost written with that in mind it feels like um yeah so that's my my first one Yes. What about you? Well, technically they are going to be making one and to keep, to stay on the Moss train here. Yeah. I was going to say Akatar because it's just like, I mean, Akatar has a special place in my heart 
not only because it's brilliant, but because it was the first YA series I read. And I happened to read it like during the pandemic when you just really needed something. So it, it hit particularly well. Um, I can really see this becoming film really well. And they, I think they are going to be making it into Hulu is going to be making it into the television series, which I like, like I said, actually, I don't know if I said it here, if I said it when we were just talking about doing this episode, but I would much rather all of these things be TV shows. Yes. Oh yeah. Cause you can give it the love that it deserves. Exactly. Exactly. The respect that it deserves. (laughs) Yes. You can maintain the integrity. Yes. Um, I think it would be so fun to see our characters, like the characters like come alive. And I think the, I think it could be really aesthetically fun as well, because like it starts off with just like a huntress, which is like very like Katniss, like very like hunger games, like, but then like, it's like fairies, which we haven't seen fairies on screen. Mm -hmm. So that would be really cool. Well, and this, this is one of those ones that we get to thank Game of Thrones for because 10 years ago, a book like this would not have been given the time of day. Yes. The fantasy alone, but the fact that it's like this love romance. Yes. Series. It would not have been given the green. Well, and I, and I would say too, that, um, uh, we didn't speak a lot about it, but, um, Outlander is yeah. very much um a very strong book to screen that's still going yes. i think they're yep. starting they're going to release their last season i have read up to the sixth book and much like when we were talking about it much like you saying you hate it you or you just like didn't couldn't really get After into the second season, season yeah season two i lost me, but... hated the second book one because the first book is amazing. The first book is like one of those books that for such a long time, I would take, I would bring with me on an Island nice. as like the only book to read. And t- until of course, Akatar. Um, yeah. but for a long time it was because the first book is amazing. And then the second book begins spoiler alert 20 years later. Oh yeah. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? We it's just fucked two. in a cave and now you're like yeah. 60. Okay. <laughs> That was, that was one of my big problems with it, with season two is because so much of like the enjoyment in season one is that they're like in the Scottish moors and they're like roughing it half the time and they're doing like dirty, like outdoor sex. And then she's like wearing big bustiers and I don't know, like losing a child in France. And like they were trying and believe me, Diana does this, the author, Diana Gabaldon she her readers really love that they really love she has a strong community that follows her there she has a fucking like cult almost like they love her everything that she does um some of these people i know very well um they love the adventure they love going places the third book they're like on a ship half the time like going to like jamaica and stuff Mm -hmm. um that's the part of it i didn't like (laughs) i'm like i'm gonna go back to the moors not that like i don't like being on a ship but granted the books i had problems i did have like some problems with the books some of the books like i it was they were really hard to get through 
Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that my second favorite book was Drums of Autumn because that one they're actually like homesteading in like Virginia. Yeah, and that's kind like, of like where they are getting the show to. Now, they're right? like getting to. Um, they they had that season like two years ago, and I watched it. It was really good. It was a good season of the show as no, well. No, it's fair. It's just like very clearly, I'm not paying that much attention. No, same. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this stuff like happened before the like pandemic just kind of paused everything, yeah. but um. I liked it because everything was about Jamie and Claire and then it transitioned into Brianna and Roger, which is Brianna's their, their kid. Their kid and yeah. that's what I kind of liked because I was like, we can't just be like, you know, gonna we're going to get tired. Old. We're going to get yeah. tired of you. Sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like Brianna and Roger had like this really great story where I don't know if you mind about spoilers. No, I don't. Okay, real quick. But like Brianna gets raped. And oh, wow. then she has this baby. And Roger has to like accept it. And it's like this just, like beautiful story. And then their like sex life is really rocky. And I just like really yeah. appreciate. Well, I just really. Yeah. Exactly. Like I just really appreciate that. That like they they addressed this. She like addressed this like thing that happens. I just love their story. And then the book or the, the show, there's like this scene where like, so Roger gets like captured by the Mohawk Indians and he has to like escape somehow. And so you don't know if he's going to come back and he just shows up on like their plantation. Like it was some cinematic because she's like running out to get it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole context to it is like, he like sacrificed himself for you know so it's just like mm-hmm. all so great you know so I love that part of it um it's just like can we just stay in one place can we just, yeah like that's kind of my my whole point but like yeah the the show definitely took you to those places but yeah what the point of Outlander that I wanted to bring up was that the romance and that it was female centric yes and this is something that's like really important to me Another one that we get to thank for Akatar happening. Exactly. Yep. Because, and this is what I'm talking about is like the feminine space of like film yep. and entertainment is like coming through, which is like so exciting. We're being like recognized as an actual mm-hmm. uh, fan base. Exactly. And I would say too, that like this fan base that is women who like a little bit of van- a little bit of adventure and maybe history like, Mm -hmm. you know, Outlander and stuff is like, we want to be able to see a woman occupying a space that isn't just getting raped all the time. Like, because like, that is what was happening. Yes. But like, we also like, but it wasn't like you turned a corner. I know. And there was just like rape everywhere. But also that's what a lot of like the film has portrayed women as is like, they're either it's, it's a man's world. They go into a whorehouse or they're yep. like, and you know, they come across like battered women. And it's just like, sometimes we just want to see something else. And so mm-hmm. here you have this woman from the 1940s who gets transported 200 years earlier in a place where that was going on. And she speaks her mind and people find it intriguing. And it's like this exciting thing where you kind of, you can kind of embody Claire and live it out in a way that's not like, I'm just going to be, which isn't to say she doesn't get almost raped like yeah it is there like that's there but it's it's definitely more like 
more fun and exciting. I think that the use of that in historical pieces as well is so rooted in the, the idea that like the people who existed before us were so so Neanderthal and primal and mm-hmm. feminism didn't exist yet so women didn't have anything. It's like, well, first of all, not every man was walking around just waiting to stick his dick in something. Yeah. That's just not how the world worked. What happened is when rape did happen, when sexual assaults did happen, there was a lot less rights for the women who it was a bit more systemic. Yes, exactly. It was it was was by law. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that every man who was going around was just had at one point or another raped somebody. It's like, no, that's not what happened. Which should bring into question like the mentality of the people who were making those films and who are telling those kinds of stories well you know? and that and that just comes back to like just like a very male centric yes, like exactly. industry where you yep. have men writing stories about men and how men see things yep. and so what's ex- what's so thrilling for me when I watched Outlander because I watched it and then I read the book I watched the first half of the season when the first half came of the first season came out and then I read the book was that not only are you walking through um, with Claire, but you're actually experiencing desire yeah, and watching a female desire. And that's something because how many times, how many times have you watched like a historical movie fiction, that, yeah. fiction movie where it's just the men and just to get sexy, they have to go into like a whorehouse or something. Yeah. And or it's like, like you're grab just seeing, a sailor woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just this like women in these like subservient like roles. It's so exciting to like watch something that's sexy and if that's sexy to a woman. It's got the female it's, gaze. It doesn't just have nipples. Like yeah. um, one example comes to mind is Gangs of New York. You just have like women going around with their breasts out. And that's yeah. supposed to be like so sexy. For who? <laughs> where yeah. where are the dicks like no yeah like where like where yeah. are like the show me where, some penis. where is like the the I'm billowing white shirt argue. like yes <laughs> where are the pecs like, there's a reason for that okay yeah the fabio the fabio yes. attire like we as cringy as it is as cringy as it is it's there for a reason yeah and now Jamie Frazier is the new Fabio. Like, yeah, everyone can that broad chested. Yes, exactly. The stock, he has an accent. We're Mm. in the Highlands. What? We're camping. There's only one bed. What are we going to do? (laughs) You have to marry me. Like, that fucking shit. You know? Yes. Um, Okay. We can okay, move so on. this is one yeah i was like I we're gonna keep going on if we don't shut up about i know <laughs> right now um jamie is his name right what jamie, jamie fraser james james he goes by jamie james oh sorry i know him <laughs> personally <laughs> yeah i was gonna say <laughs> um okay um this is another one that i've talked about on the podcast before so the hollows mm-hmm. kim harrison series she announced that it had been like greenlit I don't know about Greenlit, actually, but, like, picked up for a show, mm. which was really exciting because I've wanted to see. This is another one where, like, I think a lot of scenes are written very well, very cinematically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd i be interested to see. So the, the, the series started 
in the 2000s. And so a lot of like the the style and everything is very 2000s. Like she'll wear like leather pants and short shirts sometimes. She's got the long red hair. I wonder if Sarah J. Moss read these. Probably. And probably, probably based Bryce off of it. Cause I just like use every use time a you lot explain of it. her. When you, when, I'm telling you, when you, I'm not giving you a choice, you have to read these books. I, I uh, want when, to. Yes. Really bad. When you read these books, there's so much. She doesn't have quite as much like swagger as I think Bryce does. So that's mm-hmm. very distinctly different. But like the attitude, the attitude is the mm-hmm. same. And then I think it has this benefit of there's, going on like 16 books in this series Mm -hmm. there's so much material for you to make out of this so it could be a movie it could be a series like a show Mm -hmm. there's really so much to do with it um i can't remember what they're doing specifically i do remember that she kind of put out a call in her forum for who we as the fans would like to see as rachel as the main Mm -hmm. character and a lot of people put somebody and i won't name drop um put somebody that I don't like mm. because she may or may not have been the lead in a show that was on that was a fantasy show that was also a redhead and really? I didn't like her on the show um the show was shadow hunters mm. and a lot of people liked her so I don't know why I didn't like her that yeah. is the most I will say if people want to google it and see who I'm talking about that's fine but I I won't name drop because I I try to we try to keep this a generally positive space yes I'm not saying she's bad. I'm just saying for some reason I didn't vibe <laughs> with her. Unless it comes to Game of Thrones, then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. With Game of Thrones, that is a very, I have very strong opinions about that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, and The Hobbit. Um, and capitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> capitalism. But yeah. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with this girl. I just didn't like her. And so I got very like disheartened. That being said, Rachel is not the only reason I like these books. There's not a character in these books that I don't love, mm-hmm. even if I love to hate them. Yeah. So I would I would just love to see them made into a show. Yes. And so I hope that continues. I hope that that pans out successfully. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, one that I think would be visually really cool is uh the darker shades of magic series that we yes in season oh, one yes um, yes by ve schwab that one is like the different londons like it's very it has it's very um distinct in its color and it's like there is a very very strong aesthetic to these books that that's I the mise-en-scene appreciate Yes. Like that's, that's ex- okay. So when you're thinking about like the film and everything, like the mise-en-scene would very much yes. play into the style of those Londons and everything. That's kind of what the Like the I have means. a vivid, vivid yes. idea of what these Londons look like. I, I always say brown London, but it's great. It's great right. London. London. It's our London. But I think of it as very brown, very like dingy, very uh, Dickens. Constant and then you- rain. Yeah. Yes. And then, um, red london is very colorful it's almost kind of like um what comes to mind is like hunchback of notre dame like mm-hmm. when like mm-hmm. the gypsies come to town and it's just like very very colorful like and not medieval but i don't know it just came to my head yeah um, <laughs> um celebratory yes yes jubilant. yeah um kind of like and, constant party happening. yes 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 um and magic and shops and like mm-hmm. ma- um 
secret wizards and stuff. And then you have like um, white London, which Ooh, is yeah. just like, it's like this, it's like snowing, but it's not snow. It's ash. Like it's yep. just white wash and everyone's like skin and bones and hollow that looking. Sallow. Sallow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then black London. I don't know what it is that I find so sexy about it. <laughs> I genuinely don't either. <laughs> I've tried to wrap my mind around that. But I like, I just really liked when he does eventually go to black London. What I, how I imagine it was, it was at like dusk and the sky is like colorful, but everything else is black and dark and shadow. So you look, so that's how we have I, very different images of black London. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I do remember him mentioning something about like the sky and like it being like light yeah. or like having kind of like a um, sunset. There's definitely a sunset. So this is the way that, the way that I picture it. I think this might be part of the reason that I didn't find any romance in black London. You know, when <laughs> the sun hasn't actually crossed the horizon yet, but you can see it's light and it makes the sky just gray. Sure. Okay. Is this a That's desert what thing? I saw. No, this is, I've, I've seen this in multiple places. Yeah. Okay. And so like, it's still like the black, the sky, because the sky is technically night, but because of like the sunlight just right here, okay, because before yeah. the, before the sun will like cross the horizon, there's no red, there's no pinks, there's no beautiful oranges. Like there's nothing like that. It's just we'll like yes. muted. Yes. So see, I am imagining the sun past the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. But yet there's like deep purples and like mm-hmm. reds. And so that's the kind of the magic, right? The, the I also, whimsy so of like, it. you know how when he attacked red London, things started like turning to stone, right? Mm-hmm. Like kind of like that, whatever he was made out of. So that's what I imagine all of that London too is this kind of like translucent uh like quartz. Everything looks like you're looking through it, like nothing's actually Real. a thing anymore. Interesting, yeah. Which is kind of creepy because it takes the life out of things, you know? Yeah. I think I just really wanted Black London to be like this thing that would save everyone. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, that was one of our theories. And we're like, yeah. what if Black London is so much better? Exactly. And then we got there and we're like, mm-hmm. what if Black London just started the war <laughs> that, like, so they could live in peace? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think it, the covers of the books kind of tell you yeah. that, yes. that it's just, it would be like a very rich uh, mm-hmm. visual feast. And the stories are very good. The characters are very good. Yes, the characters are very good. That's one, yeah, I agree. That's one that would be like, especially so like book number two with the the games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those would be so much better to see visually. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This was fun. This was really fun. I liked this topic a lot. Same. Well, we're movie junkies just as much as we're like book junkies. Exactly. I would say that movies are what got me into reading. Nice. Lord of the Rings yeah yep lots of things <laughs> yeah outlander <laughs> yeah yeah so it we don't be... need to say what outlander got you into no <laughs> no <laughs> um 
I will say this before we close. I do think that there is merit to having watched something before you read it, mm-hmm. as well as merit to reading something before you watch it. Yeah, that's not a that's not a black and white question. It's not. And so there's a lot of hate on the internet about it that circulates about, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. And we've definitely made our opinions known about Game of Thrones. Yep. But there is something to be said about the experience. I watched Lord of the Rings before I read it. And it, it, it informed the experience of reading it. And there's lots of people I know that had read the books first that informed their experience with watching it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people give, of course, the, sh- the film adaptations shit because they're the, they're the second to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it is just kind of like, you put it really well. I think once, I don't remember when, (laughs) (laughs) where you said, especially with like historical, I think you were, um, speaking specifically with like historical film or not. I don't think that's the right word, but like film adaptations from like history or books from like the 19th century where we need a visual context for what's going on that gets a bit lost when we, when you read these like really old books that were, Mm -hmm. that made sense to people who read them in the 19th century. But now that we're like reading them now, we need a little bit more to kind of get us to understand the gravity of what's going on. And so I don't know how that translates to like books that are written now. I think it can because it's still possible to make adaptations of modern books and lose its essence, lose its integrity. Yes. And I think a lot of it goes back to that is like not understanding the gravity of certain things. So like with Emma, when we're talking about that really awkward, like the exchanges that are suddenly changing interpretation Mm -hmm. because they won't confront this thing. So what is the most recent adaptation do they give her a nosebleed Mm because that's always awkward especially if you're talking to a person yeah or looking at like percy jackson yeah so much of that like it's a modern story it's a modern book it's set in modern day but so much of that got lost because they weren't focusing on what they needed to focus on Mm -hmm. they were trying to create this they needed a character to be like the support yes and And they were making him into something else they're making him into like a uh what's it the punchline yeah they changed a lot of other characters in there too like hades they made him this like wannabe 80s rocker which was not the way it was in the books yeah which just made him really unlikable in a completely different way that was not redeemable yeah in my opinion um but yeah like they lose the gravity of the actual plot because these characters aren't supporting in a way that they need to yeah like supporting, yes, supporting Percy as the main character, but also supporting the plot. Yes. Like there's a reason the characters are the way that they are. There's yeah. a reason the things, the the events play out the way that they do. They don't exist in a vacuum. They exist in these little humans interacting with each other. These little people, I should say. Yeah. Grover's not a human, so. Yeah. Another reason why I would love to see Crescent City done yes. is we need more lovely, beautiful side characters in our life. Yes. Like Lahaba and Syrinx. 
so like, much so much of crescent city number one is about friendship mm-hmm. and i think that's why the book resonated so much with us like that's very mm-hmm. that's the theme that we really really enjoy yeah. and i think tv needs more of that yes the romance is very very clearly like a main character as well like a main yeah theme but the friendship like danica such a yeah. big part of the book yeah. and she dies in the first like five percent of the book yeah i got a kindle so <laughs> yeah five percent yeah well not only that but like oh there's also a lot of family stuff and mm-hmm. it's like that so well, i guess what i'm saying is like i super super agree with like friendship being like this new era for us yeah because like, we're love so beyond, tired of, beyond romance. of reading about your sister and the people yeah. you're forced to be with and, and yeah. we're kind of tired of everything just being about finding a man and it's like what about finding like a really good fucking friend really good good friends yes yeah okay so on, that, so on that note on that note what is do we know what we're doing next hold on we do know what we're doing next i don't know what we're doing next i know i gotta i'm pulling it up i'm working as fast as i can quick announcements Ooh. while you look that up Oh, I did find it already. So, um, when is this episode airing? So this episode is airing March twenty first, and so next week we are going to be talking about Guild. Oh God, yes! So excited. Same. I this has been on my list for like a year. I'm just like ready. yeah. And you all voted. Yeah. If you're on our Instagram, you'll then you know told us what to you do. You voted. You told us, and we're here to listen. Yes. We just had our second, when this airs, mm-hmm. we will have just had our second book club meeting on the 12th, my birthday. No biggie. When you're listening to this, I will be 33. I am not 33 now. Thank God. <laughs> Such a big difference. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, our next meeting, we are meeting on April 9th. And we will probably be covering the third book in the Akatar series, some portion Potentially, of it or another. Yes. It's either going to be the end of book number two or the beginning of book number three, depending on how the meeting goes. Yes, because we all have to kind of meet somewhere in the middle. Everyone yeah. kind of has their own reading schedules. We have quite a long reading list. So yeah, for this podcast, but also um, we have jobs and things. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely join us though. If you just love Akatar and you just want to talk about all of the characters, I know I do. So we would love to have you and you can find us on the website at inbedwithbookspod.com or on our Instagram. There's links there where you can like join us on the discord and yep. we just meet and we chat on zoom about the book. So that's exciting. I really like having the book club because it's almost like a different space where we get to talk about things with it's adding other like, than us <laughs> we have a lot of opinions obviously but it's adding some new ones so yes. it's been nice yes exactly so yeah until until next week until next week happy reading happy reading bye bye
recently, as in like within the pandemic, which is all relative, recently, she announced that it had been like, is that good? Good garlic bread? I know. I'm just like, I'm drinking. I need to have a bite. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I can keep talking. Yes. 